Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Are you looking for a podcast with, uh, <laughs> uh, are you looking for a podcast with Robert? Well, you must be thinking of another podcast. Uh-oh. It is me. It is just me. I'm so sorry. I know things have been like weird with Yemtope lately because we did all the interludes. Maybe you guys are like feeling the interludes. Maybe you're not. Either way, please let us know. We love your feedback, of course, negative or positive. We always crave it. We want it. We want to improve for you. However, today, Robert is not here due to something unexpected coming up. So it is just going to be me doing an interview. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. Uh, so I am talking to one of my favorite people on earth. I would wager to say my favorite person on earth uh, because she is basically me, but older and better and wiser. Um, this is an interview with my sister. She is a really cool person who is one of my role models. She's amazing. She's perfect. I can I can only say compliments about my sister legally. Um, I don't know, guys. She just, she's just wonderful. So I think that you're going to enjoy listening to her talk about her career. It's very cool and unique. And I'm just going to let her take it away from here, I think. Do not worry. Robert will be back in the very near future. And we'll be coming at you with your regularly scheduled DM Tope. Of course, always, every Monday. Quick content warning. We are going to be talking a lot about, uh, well, vaginas and babies and birth. But everyone is welcome to listen with an open mind and open heart. Uh, I think it's good stuff that needs to be known. So buckle in, check it out. See you at the end of the episode. All right. You guys are in for something fun today. We have a very special guest on the podcast. Uh, a wonderful woman that I've known for 33 long years. Long years. <laughs> this is my, my sister, Lindsay. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Kelsey, for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. Me too. Um, if you guys are having the same problem that our husbands have, where you can't tell us apart just by voice, <laughs> then I'll be in this ear, and Lindsay will be in your other ear. I brought Lindsay on today because she has a very interesting job, and I just think that it's something that should be kind of brought to a wider audience. So... You want to tell us what you do? Yeah, thanks for saying that, because I, I definitely agree that um, more people need to be aware of what doulas are and what we do. So a little bit of etymology, doula actually comes from a Greek word, which means woman who serves. What? And so, yeah, like uh, some people say servant, which I don't like, because that implies like like an employer-employee type relationship, yeah. which is not exactly how it kind of unfolds in our realm um we are we are here to serve but uh, i'll talk mainly about what it is to be a birth doula but then i'll talk about some of the ancillary options like a postpartum doula and what that entails but yeah essentially i am there to serve others in kind of their childbearing time i actually saw i hate to steal this and i can't give appropriate credit because i don't know her name but i saw on another doula's website she likened it to um, a wedding planner oh so a birth doula is not really making decisions for you or controlling things per se but they're just kind of an expert on the way things normally happen and like some common variations and they can kind of help guide you through the process and like think about it ahead of time and how you want things to go and then day of they can put out fires when necessary and afterwards so I guess this deviates a little from the wedding planner analogy but then I'm also available afterwards to kind of process and talk about the birth experience yeah that's so cool I love etymology I know that you and I both share that yes (laughs) and doula d-o-u-l-a it kind of looks greek Mm -hmm. um and with the A on the end, it makes it feminine. So I think that also means that doulo oh. <laughs> is a word, as in like a male who serves. I've never seen it. Um, there is actually male doulas. Some people call them doodlas. Oh my God. <laughs> I think I have also maybe heard doulo. I don't know. Or just male doula. Doulo sounds like a guy that you meet at the club that you don't want to <laughs> hang around with. <laughs> that doula away from me. <laughs> 
Yeah, so that's um, that's kind of the background on the word. And I think historically, you know, you think about cultures and um, women giving birth in the past were kind of surrounded by their family. And I think that is still the case in many cultures. But in the United States, you know, we don't always tend to set up camp like where we grew up. So like you grew up in one part of the country and then you go to college in a different part of the country and you accept a job in another part of the country. So by the time you are in your childbearing years, you may not necessarily be in the same place where the rest of your family is. Hmm. And so um, in the past, women would give birth. I mean, it was definitely women's work in the past. They would give birth among their female community members and family members, their aunts and grandmother and mom and sisters um, and female friends who kind of all take care of them. And this is way back when most births took place at home. But so you kind of had your support team in those people. And now in the United States, especially, like I said, I think that is still the case in a lot of places around the world where women are giving birth either at home or in community with um, other women. But here, um, having not everybody kind of in the same place, and we don't often live in like the multi-generational households that other cultures do. Right. Um, So when we're entering into that childbearing time, a lot of times it's just the two partners. Okay. So doula, um, being you're you're in the room when the birth happens, you're not the one who's actually delivering the baby though, right? Like that's a totally different type of... Yes, that's an important distinction. And um, I think one of the most common questions is like, what's the difference between doula and midwife? Right. Um, Midwife essentially takes on the role of the OBGYN. So um, either can deliver a baby in the hospital. In our country, it is definitely more common to have an OBGYN. Midwives can do all of the same things OBs can, except surgeries. Mm, So while OBs would do things like... Um, a surgery for endometriosis or a hysterectomy or a tubal ligation where they tie your tubes um, or a c-section midwives don't do any of that they essentially do all of like a normal uncomplicated uh, vaginal delivery and again midwives still the norm in a lot of other countries here um, for a lot of reasons the norm has shifted to obstetrics but still in the U.S., I think about 10% of all deliveries are done by a midwife. So okay. a lot of those are in the hospital, but a lot of those are outside the hospital too, whether okay. it's a center or at home. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about like, so when you have a midwife instead of a doctor, do they have a doctor on call like just in case? Because there's always the, op- the, the problem of a C-section could be necessary. And if the midwife can't perform it, then you have to have somebody there to, you know scalpel you up yes <laughs> absolutely that is the case um for midwives who work in a hospital setting mm-hmm. they typically work like in conjunction with an ob especially if there's a mom who's at a higher risk so a mom who's trying for a back, which is a vaginal birth after a c-section so she's had a c-section at some point prior but wants to try to have a vaginal birth this time um that puts her in a higher risk category than someone who has never had a c-section mm-hmm. so especially for those cases um, if a midwife is the primary care provider, there is an OBGYN consulting, and um, in a hospital, there is, I believe, always an OB on site, typically, for those urgent scenarios where right. uh, C-section needs to happen quickly. Okay. And for, for being a doula, so you guys work pretty much anywhere, like you can do at-home births, birthing centers, hospitals? Yes. For me, that is true. Now, other doulas can be employed by a hospital and so they would only work like at that hospital well that's cool with providers who deliver at that hospital is it pretty common for a hospital to employ a doula no not here um i don't know any models here in texas i think it's a really neat idea what i dislike about it is that i have a lot of freedom in in the clientele that i take on and when I want to work. So, you know, I'm having a baby in July. So July's out. Yeah. <laughs> not working that month. Um, when we plan family trips and things like that, when my kids, they happen to all have birthdays around the same time. So I can take off, you know, November through January if I want to. Um, so I have a lot of freedom as an independent contractor in when I take clients and the clients that I take. And also that I'm only accountable to my client as opposed to the hospital. So A big part of my role is educating families on their options. And so in our country, um, a lot of people know this already, especially if you've had a baby or kind of in that time frame. But the C-section rate in the United States is a lot higher than it is in other countries. So here, Mm. it's about one in three births are born. Whoa, really? C-section, yeah. That's way higher than I thought it would be. 
So the World Health Organization recommends 10 to 15% of births be done by C-section. And we're doing like triple that. Double to triple that. Yeah. Wow. And there's a lot of reasons for that too. Um, a lot of it is money, unfortunately. Doctors yeah. get paid a lot more to do a surgery than they do to just deliver a normal healthy baby. Oh, I hate that. Part of it's also their training though. Like I don't want to throw OBs under the bus because they are surgeons. They're trained to find and treat problems. Yeah. And so in medical school, they're learning all about what can go wrong Mm -hmm. and so when they're faced with a normal healthy pregnant woman the back of their mind they're always thinking well she could have this she could have this and so they're kind of looking for problems where there may not even be problems yeah same thing in the course of a normal birth so every birth is going to be different and there there can be um things that come up that might be just a variation of normal and not a problem um, one of the big things is meconium. So uh, meconium is the baby's first poop. That's it what is. I thought it was. Why, <laughs> when does it come into the problem and during birth? <laughs> I, I'm kind of talking all over the place here. So it's um, possible for the baby to have its first poop while it's still in the womb. Oh, my God. And that's happened to me for three out of four of my kids. What? If I remember correctly. So it can be a totally normal thing (laughs) because the longer a baby's in there, the more mature their systems are, the more mature their bowels are, the more likely they are to just start moving things. Um, And most of my pregnancies have gone beyond the 40-week due date. Okay. Which is not... I mean, the due date, that's also not an exact like predictions so it's just kind of a guesstimate of when the baby will come 40-ish weeks yes and if you go beyond it it's pretty normal for the baby to poop inside of you okay (laughs) and so however it can also be a sign that there's a problem because Mm -hmm. if the cord is around the baby's neck or if they're not getting enough oxygen that stresses them out and that can also cause them to pass meconium Mm. so if there's evidence that the baby has pooped in utero while a mom is in labor, some people may be like, okay, this could be a problem, but let's just watch and wait for other signs of potential problems before we do anything, you know, rash. Yeah. Whereas a more cautious provider or someone who has the background and expertise of like, oh, this definitely means like things are going to go totally wrong. I'm going to go ahead and do a C-section because that's going to get the baby here quicker. That's going to potentially bypass any other problems. Um, even though we don't know for sure that there's a problem, I'm going to go ahead and go this route because this is what I know. This is what is I feel is safest. And so families who seek obstetric care or, you know, medical care in general, we're putting our, essentially our wellness in the hands of a, a professional. And so yeah. we want to trust in our doctors and I think we should. Yeah. So all that to say, part of my role then in the process is to one, educate my clients kind of ahead of time about like what to expect, what's normal. And then in the moment when their doctor's saying, like, I think you should do this, I can also say, well, here's some questions you can ask. Here's some alternatives that they didn't mention are available to you. Okay. So you're not telling them, like, you should do this or that. You're just providing them with, like, here's more information for you that the doctor may not have given you. Yes. And that's why I think it's important to me to be accountable only to my clients and not to a hospital. Yeah. Because if I'm working in a hospital underneath a doctor who's also working in a hospital, that can be seen as kind of unwelcome. And so I have to work really hard to be diplomatic about your doctor's giving you some really good information and some good options here. I also want you to know that there's some other reasons that your baby might have passed meconium. Mm-hmm. And there's some other things we can do to make sure that your baby stays safe if you're not ready to take that jump to a C-section right now. Okay. Or as a doctor, also in their defense, you know, they don't have time to sit down with each of the patients in the moment yeah. and discuss all of the options. Right. Um, is kind of a mess here in this country. <laughs> yes. They're overworked. I won't say they're underpaid because I don't think that's the case, but <laughs> they're very, very busy. Yeah. Um, and they don't have time to do all that counseling. So, yes, that's a part of my role. And I exactly what you said. I just want to echo that. I'm never giving medical advice or saying, this is what I think you should do. Here's what I would do. Yeah. This is the safest bet. You know, this is the best option. That is not my role at all. Just giving information, kind of like the wedding planner. You know, um, maybe I don't think that orange and gold and yellow are the beautiful <laughs> colors for a wedding, but you want to go that way? Awesome. It I'm here to option. support you. <laughs> Definitely the same thing with dual work, just giving options and information, being there, um, support is like a, a crucial part of the role. So what does like a typical day for a doula look like? Because I know that you have a lot of stuff that you do. Like you have, of course, the clients that are going in and helping them as they're giving birth, but mm-hmm. you do 
other stuff in the day of your work. Yes. I think um, one of the biggest appeals for me and probably for a lot of people is the, as my husband Joe always says, it's flexible until it's not. Okay. <laughs> so like birth is usually not flexible. Right. Like, someone's in labor. I got to go. Um, but the day to day, I teach childbirth classes so I can schedule those. I do prenatal visits in my client's home. Uh, I do postpartum visits, so after the birth, I go see them at home one time. What are you doing in those kind of visits? Is it just like more advice giving or...? Yes, more support. Um, So the prenatal session kind of goes in tandem with like the childbirth class. Mm -hmm. So the class is a group format where um, it's come a long way from like the sit around and breathe like they used to do in the (laughs) 70s. Uh, Not to discredit those because those definitely have their place and breathing techniques are important. But we're sharing a lot of information in the group class, but it has to be general because there's several couples there. Okay. And couple A might be planning an epidural. Like, you know, I'm not interested in the, the pain of childbirth. I want to get the drugs and I want to get them now. And <laughs> I just need someone to hold my hand until I get there. Yeah. Whereas couple B may feel strongly that they want an unmedicated birth and they want to learn, you know, coping strategies and things like that. So the class by nature has to be pretty general about like, stages of labor, um, what to expect throughout. Um, People also planning different birth locations. So in the U.S., at least with my clients, I guess I can't speak for the U.S., but of my clients, about 85% are giving birth in the hospital, Hmm. about 10% are at birthing centers, about 5% are at home. Okay. But I think those statistics are not extrapolated from the general population. Okay. Because I think that people who hire doulas... Um, tend to run a little bit more like um, more toward the natural side of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely not all. I de- I have a good number of clients who um, are most comfortable in a hospital with an OB with medication. Mm. But yes, I think uh, that's kind of the stereotype, and it's a stereotype probably for a reason um, that a lot of people who hire doulas are planning a more crunchy, out of hospital, yes. <laughs> natural type of experience. Okay. Yeah. So we have the birth classes, and then the prenatal session in their home is kind of like a one-on-one where we just do a deep dive into your birth plan, what do you want this to look like, um, how can I best support you. Um, if they're spiritual, we talk about prayers that are applicable in the birth space. I will often show the birth partner different massage techniques um, and ways to keep the mom comfortable in labor. Um, and nice. Emotional support, so that's a big one because birth is very... And parenting is just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, So I think a lot of people find it comforting to have someone who has not only walked with many clients in this, but has also been through it, you know, personally. Yeah. How many clients have you helped through birth at this point? A hundred and... You have spreadsheets. I have so many spreadsheets. (laughs) I love spreadsheets. (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) That's another thing we share in common. Our genetics are so weird with the... (laughs) The things that bring us joy. I know. So yes, 125 so far. Three, six, eight more on the books. Wow. And you've been doing this since 2018? Yes. Since my youngest was born, January 2018. Kind of a good segue into another question a lot of people want to know is kind of what drew you to this because it is a lesser known field. Right. So for me, it was just that personal journey of having multiple children and multiple experiences um and they were all quite different and kind of led me down the path of wondering just wanting to ask more questions so my first baby basically I was just like get it out I don't want to feel anything put me to sleep sounds great um that's not what happened but that was in my mind that's like the perfect birth yeah <laughs> go to sleep wake up now you're a mom a baby. congrats <laughs> so that was kind of what I was hoping might happen it took a it's, it sounds weird to say because most people don't hope for a C-section and that... I don't think I actually wanted that. I was just scared of the unknown. Yeah. And, you know, our mom, having had two C-sections, was not a lot of help in the, the yeah. labor department. <laughs> uh, basically, just a sweat on the back and good luck, kids. <laughs> um, was mom there while you were laboring? Because you, no. were, you were in Boston. Yes. She came the next day, I yeah. think. We were still in the hospital and there, there had just been a big... Storm. I remember it was Hurricane Sandy, right? No, that Superstorm Sandy was a little bit after. I think it was just like a classic nor'easter, mm. snow in November. So my first experience was fine. I had a vaginal birth. Um, it was not as scary as I thought it would be. 
just a lot of fear of the unknown. And so um, I didn't know anything about doulas at the time. Then after my third labor, so we were living back here, um, and then I had a lot of friends who were starting to give birth without epidurals and just talking about how great it was. You can get out of bed right away. The recovery was a lot faster. Hmm. Um, it still sounded very scary to me, but I was interested. Yeah. And so anyone I talked to about that said, if you want to try it without an epidural, a doula is really helpful. And so I started doing some research into what that was. And, okay. Um, it just sounded really interesting to me as a job. And so the first doula I interviewed, I told her right out the gate, I was like, listen, I'm looking for someone to help me have a baby and then help me help others have babies. <laughs> so if this is you, sign up. Um, and the first doula I met was great. We connected right away. Um, I work with her still now. We're very close. So that was a really awesome relationship that came from that and kind of what led me into birth work, as we call it. And I think is common for most doulas is they have kind of their own childbirth experience that transforms them in a way and then they want to share that with other people. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You know, it's something that you go through and for a lot of people, birth is traumatic. Like, whether it goes right or wrong, it's it's something that it's the biggest process your body can go through. <laughs> you created another human for being. For sure. So... Physically and mentally, like, just yeah. on so many levels. Yeah. There are childless doulas, which I think is interesting because I... I wonder what brings people to that path when they haven't experienced it themselves. Yeah. Um, I think there's different camps in it. Like some people say, how can you support people through something you've never been through? Which I don't agree with because people see male OBGYNs all the time. Yeah. That's (laughs) kind of the same thing. Um, I have a lot of clients in the interview process. That's another part of my day, I guess. So we book consults, which is sort of like a two-way interview. So I meet with a prospective client, um, usually the mom and the dad or the birth partner are both there. Sometimes it's just the mom. Um, And they ask me questions about the package and what we offer. And sometimes personal questions. A lot of people want to know, have you had an unmedicated birth? Um, One woman asked me how many kids I had and I told her four at the time. And usually that's a great selling point because people are like, oh, you've done this four times. Amazing. You know so much. I had one woman who was like, oh, that's too many kids. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, how can you help me when you're so busy? And I was like, I mean, you've qualifications. (laughs) Just like any other job, I guess. And ultimately she didn't hire me because she didn't feel like I was going to be available enough to her, which I... I, you know, thank God for that because I think, um, I do feel like I've always meshed really well with my clients. And so if there's ever someone in the interview where it just does not seem like a good fit, I think that vibe goes both ways. And so if I'm receiving that from somebody, they're probably also receiving the same thing from me and they either ghost me, which is totally fine. Um, or they are just like, I found somebody else. And that's okay. Yeah. I am totally okay not being the right person for everybody. I mean, you want to find somebody that you really are on the exact same page with, same line, same letter. Yes. Because they're going to be, like, in your business. While I'm going to see you naked. Yeah. I'm going to be touching your body. <laughs> you need to be really comfortable with me and vice versa. hmm Yes. So um, the interview consultation process is a big part of my day. Yeah, and I've loved the flexibility of most of my job because having a lot of young kids at home, I've been able to be there for them a lot of the time. And then also having a strong family support network for those on-call times when, okay, birth is happening like right now, gotta go, Yeah, um, has been really important in terms of helping take care of my kids, but also in understanding like sometimes I have to miss important things and that kind of sucks. So... How does having a doula, like, change your birth experience versus just having a regular, normal hospital birth with doctors and nurses? There are some really great stats on doulas um, and why people hire them and why people should hire them. I think ultimately, my ultimate goal for my clients is not to have a particular outcome. But I read an interesting study when I was going through my doula certification about... um, older women, like women in their 80s, who could remember, like, every detail from their birth experience, but couldn't remember, you know, other parts, major milestones of their life, but the birth was just still so fresh in their mind. Yeah. And so, um, as we said already, like, it it is a very transformative and important moment in your life and something that really sticks with you. And you said before how it can be traumatic, and sadly, one in three births in the United States is traumatic. If you ask the person mm. who's given birth, one in three moms will say it was a traumatic event. Oh. 
And that sucks for something that's like so big and important. It's like saying, oh, my wedding was awful. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hate, I don't want to remember that day. Like, it was so terrible. So, my ultimate goal, and actually going back to the study, the single most important factor in how women feel about their births after the fact is not if they had like medicated or had or unmedicated. Um, it's not where they gave birth. It's not who was there. It's not even if it was a vaginal birth versus a C-section, but it was how they felt they were treated in the process, whether they that felt they were treated with dignity and respect. Yeah. Because like you said, it's like the most vulnerable thing you can do. You're there just completely naked, getting a whole human out of you one way or another. At the mercy of the people around you. Because yeah. there are times that you feel and are very helpless and um, how were you expected to make a decision, too? Like, I imagine sometimes, you know, if if the doctor is in the middle of helping you give birth and they have a problem, they're like, we're doing a C-section. They don't give you the option for it. Like, they just kind of make decisions on your behalf based on their medical expertise, you know? Yes. Yes, that is very much the case. And so um, it's very easy to feel a little bit trampled and all of yeah. that and, like, you don't have a voice. And I experienced that not in a traumatic way, but I think looking back at my births, I realized that um, part of it was that I didn't want a voice. I, I did. I very much wanted um, it in the hands of professionals, which I felt was not me at the time. And so um, after going through it that way a couple of times, being like, well, I had really no say. Like, I didn't I didn't want a say, but I, I should want a say. Like, this is an important moment in my life. I should care about how things are going. Yeah. So my biggest goal is that my clients feel heard and respected. Um, and again, not to have like a specific outcome, although I am very passionate about lowering our astronomical C-section rate in the United States. Mm. I just think that everyone deserves to do things the way that they want and to be educated on how to make decisions about their health care and yeah. have a say and feel empowered by that. Can I ask you how many people under your care have had to have a C-section? Yes, that is one of the stats that I, I'm pretty proud of. And it's not just me to toot my own horn, but doulas in general lower the C-section rate. And so, um, as I said, in the U.S., it's about 30 to 33% right now for all births. Mm -hmm. And then, so for me, geeking out on statistics a little bit. So I have different <laughs> statistics depending on a few things. Um, so the primary C-section, which means like you're a first-time mom and you have a C-section for your first baby. Mm -hmm. So in the U.S., I think it's 33%. So for my clients, that's 20%. Okay. Sorry, that's the overall rate is 20%. Moms who are having an unplanned C-section. So that means a planned C-section is either because you've had a C-section before and you're choosing to have it again and that is your choice. Or for a reason like the baby's turned breech and can't yeah. fit. Or something like an active herpes outbreak and it's not safe oh. for the baby. Or, um, what's another one? Placenta previa, which we had talked about before. Yeah. The placenta actually grows over the cervix and it's impossible if the baby were to pass through the cervix, it would rupture the placenta, thereby killing the baby. Ugh. So there are for sure valid reasons. And beyond that, there are reasons that come up in labor. Um, so... My unplanned C-section rate is 15%. Okay. Which I think is, is pretty great. And for all doulas, I mean, we lower it. And that's not just because we're not doing things in the birth itself as much as we're educating our clients and kind of giving them a voice to be like, well, I'm not ready to go down that path. Can we talk about some other options? So, I, yeah, I think, I think that's really important and something I feel strongly about. And I, I think a big reason why people hire doulas, that's one of the more tossed around statistics out there is that we improve health out outcomes for both mom and baby. Um, we lower your risk of having a C-section, and then we increase the likelihood of you being satisfied with your birth. So even mm -hmm. having a C-section, and I've had many clients walk through that too, you know, where it's not planned, but something comes up in labor, and that is the, sometimes that's just the way that the babies need to be born. And yeah. so there's usually a lot of processing after the birth that, that goes with that um, as people kind of reflect and be like, well, yeah, I do feel like we did everything we could. I do feel like it was the right decision. And that's really important to me is that at the end of the day, my clients feel like they had to say in the way that things went um, and they felt cared for and empowered by that. That's good. Yeah. And that the dads don't pass out. <laughs> Have you ever seen a guy pass out? I know. I've seen a couple have to leave the room. I've even had a scant few, fewer than five, I don't know how many exactly, where the dads were actually not present. Whoa, really? So when COVID was kind of at a peak, um, 
and a lot of well, dads were being allowed in um, always okay. here at least. I know in New York that wasn't always the case, but here in Texas, um, dads were always allowed in unless somebody tested positive for COVID. Okay, but oh, I can't imagine not being like present at the birth of your child. <laughs> for some couples, it was an honest choice in that when the hospital policies changed and they were only allowed to have one person in there with them, mm-hmm. um, a couple of couples had the conversation were just like you know what, I think my duel is going to be more valuable than you, so... Or the dads would say, I am really nervous about this. I don't know what to expect. It feels out of control. I have a really hard time seeing my partner in pain. Mm. Um, I would much rather hand the reins over to somebody who has done this a hundred times. I guess that makes sense. (laughs) So, and I had one for whom it was a cultural thing. So in their um, country of origin, it was still the case that men were not present for birth. Mm. Um, They came in afterwards and did a really beautiful sort of christening ceremony for the baby. But for the... And the duration of labor, he was there and at home. And then when we got to the hospital and the hospital's um, having really cracked down on just one person in at a time with the laboring mom, um, he waited until the baby's born and then came in after. And it it was really cool. And I think for that couple, I actually worked with them twice for two different babies and it was Mm. the same both times. Um, and for that particular couple, I think it worked beautifully. That's good. Yeah, I guess, I mean, if you know you're going to not be any help in the living room, if you're just going to be a detriment to <laughs> the vibe, you want to be out of there. Uh, so we've been talking about statistics. Do you have any just, like, fun or interesting statistics that you want to talk about? I think the one that was that I most wanted to mention was about the C-section rate. Um, our VBAC success rate, so clients that come to me looking for a VBAC and then being that's again vaginal birth after cesarean um the success rate for those moms is 67 percent I wish I knew what the national average was but I I think that that's pretty great why is a VBAC rare for people that don't know so a c-section puts a scar in your uterus it's major surgery major abdominal surgery so once it heals there is scar tissue there which is a little bit Weakened, So the tissue in the uterus, which is one of our strongest muscles, where the scar is from the prior C-section, uh, that tissue is not as strong as the rest of the muscle of the uterus. And so when labor begins and the uterus starts contracting, and that's a contraction like any muscle contraction, so just like you're working out, like the muscle gets tight and then it releases. Um, so when the uterus starts doing that in labor there is a risk because now there is this weakened part of the muscle. Mm-hmm. And so the risk of the, the biggest um, risk is uterine rupture. And that is as crazy and scary and terrible as it sounds. Um, it's a very big risk to both mom and baby. That's the biggest risk with a VBAC. And that happens in about 0.5 to Whoa. 1%. That's a pretty small of number. Cases. <laughs> it's a very small number. However, something I have learned is that everybody's risk adversity mm-hmm. is going to be different. Yeah. So some people hear that number, like when I saw your face just now, I didn't know which way you were going to go. So some people hear that <laughs> and they're like, there's a 1% chance I could die. Right. And it's not even, it doesn't mean death. I've actually seen a rupture where both mom and baby were okay because it was detected and intervened upon. Okay. Um, so the risk does not necessarily equal death. Yeah. I don't I don't know the statistics on how many people, like what is the morbidity rate associated with that. Mm-hmm. So because of that risk, a lot of, there's a lot of fear mongering, unfortunately. Um, so a mom has had a C-section for any reason, is pregnant again, and goes back to her OBGYN. Oftentimes the default is, well, we'll just schedule you for another section because that's what we did before. Why bother going through labor again Yeah. if we know that there is the 1% risk of this? And you hear that word uterine rupture. I mean, it sounds so scary. It sounds terrifying. And you hear that in a medical environment with a person saying there is a risk of death. But let's be real. There's risk of death with any birth, honestly. Yeah, true. So everybody's risk adversity is going to be different. So people hear that and they're like, you know what? I had the C-section before. I know what to expect with that. I would rather bypass the arduousness of being in labor and just schedule my c-section i can pick my baby's birthday sounds great yeah and to those people i say more power to you because my role is you choose like you have the information and you make the best choice for you but for moms who want a v-back i don't want them to be as hard as they currently are right now so hospitals have some hospitals have crazy policies about um how long you're allowed to be in labor 
with, if you're going for a VBAC. Um, some require that your doctor has to be at the hospital the whole time while you're mm. in labor, which is a lot to ask of a doctor who's also seeing patients in clinic and probably has a family life. Yeah, especially if you're going in like a 36-hour labor. Exactly. So they are difficult to achieve. A lot of times the stars just have to kind of align perfectly for things to really go in your favor mm-hmm. um, in the classic United States obstetric model. Now, midwives are huge proponents of VBACs, and that's kind of a whole separate conversation, but that's the route a lot of my clients go, is that um, if there are no other risk factors like gestational diabetes or um, hypertension or um, any other like health issues going on, if they're otherwise like a normal low-risk pregnancy, um, a lot of them will pursue VBACs with midwives and um, they're just treated like another normal vaginal birth. Mm, Okay. I feel, man, if I were to ever get pregnant by some bad miracle, (laughs) I would would be so risk-averse. I would want to just like plan the C-section, go in, come out of mom. Like I, that the whole process of birth and pregnancy even in itself terrifies me. There's so much that can go wrong. At every turn. Like, I, w- I won't even get an IUD because there's, like, that tiny, tiny chance right. that can perforate and go somewhere in your body. And you hear those horror stories. Yes. And you hear, it's the same with birth. I mean, you see something on the TV that is not even real, and that's what sticks with you. And so yeah. that's how our culture kind of perpetuates um, ideals about childbirth. Uh, and that's what our little girls are grown up to think of. Um, and then you have women like mom who, you know, had the labor in the C-section and the second time just picked the C-section. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, is, has become more and more the norm. And yeah. so we get these, these higher rates. Um, what they don't always discuss is that a C-section is not without risk also. It's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, every medical procedure has a risk associated with it. Yes, exactly. Every medical procedure has a risk. It's just a matter of which risk are you more comfortable with. Yeah. A C-section is a very controlled environment. You are, are not in labor. You can hold still for your pain medication. For an OBGYN who is a surgical expert, it's very routine. They're very, very safe. Um, the recovery is hard for yeah. anyone who's had one. Um, there's a lot you can't do, which is hard because you're a new parent. There's a lot you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of my, my platform on V-backs and C-sections. And for anybody who's listening, I really I, I can't like iterate enough just how important it is to me that everyone be in charge of their own decision. So I have no platform on you should or should should not go for VBAC or, you know, repeat C-section. I think it's highly individualized on what you feel most comfortable with. Yeah, that makes sense. So who, I, I feel like I already know the answer to this question, but who, like, needs a doula? I say anyone who wants one. In my ideal world, I think everyone should have one. But I think there's also a camp of people, it's so ironic because as a doula myself... I don't know that I want a doula when I give really? birth. What? <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Because I can't... I'm not going to doula myself. Um, I need to be able to take that hat off and just put on the laboring mother role. Yeah. Um, and I can't expect Joe to be my doodla. <laughs> well, he knows probably a lot more than the average dad. Um, he also deserves to just experience it as a dad and yeah. not have any added pressures of, of that. So I don't know. I'm kind of in a a place of, like, I understand and value our benefit and what we add to it. And um, I think it's important, obviously, because I do it. But at the same time, it's such a sacred and intimate experience that, for me, like, I, I really have to find the right person who can be in that space, that very intimate space with us. Yeah. Um back to your question about who needs one I think anyone who is afraid yeah um who wants to feel empowered anyone whose partner feels afraid or doesn't know what to expect I think the best thing any first-time parent can do is just educate themselves whether you hire a doula or just kind of familiarize yourself with the birth process through taking a class or watching some videos online or listening to podcasts I think um I think information is power and helps people learn and how to make decisions. Yeah. Um, I think doulas bring a lot to the table for for any birthing couple. I've worked with a lot of families twice. 
Um, and I've worked with a lot of families once who have reached out in their second pregnancy and said, we just want to thank you again. Our first experience was so great and we feel so empowered that we have chosen to go without a doula this time because mm. of all we learned from you the first time. Okay. But then I have other couples who are like, that first time was crazy. I couldn't have done it without you. I never want to do it without you. I'm <laughs> just peed on a stick and I haven't even told my husband, but I want to make sure I book you right now. <laughs> so I think... Um, I think anyone who wants one needs and deserves one, and that's another kind of dividing thing in the doula community is what we charge for births. So mm-hmm. for my birth package, it's 1250 That includes the free consultation, um, the childbirth class, the individual prenatal session in your home, unlimited birth support, meaning I'm not going to bail after 12 hours, which is a thing that some doulas have in their contract, mm. um, is a maximum number of support hours. We don't have that. So um, people just leave mid-labor? No, they charge extra if oh. they're there beyond the, oh the maximum time. That's so stressful. Can you imagine having to think about that while yeah. you're in labor? I know. Oh my God. Sorry, doulas who have it in the contract. I do understand why you have it in there. I yeah. think a lot more goes into the prenatal planning of like, when's the right time to call your doula to join you? Because I'm not there for the whole duration of the labor, but I'm there for like the meat of the labor. Okay. So I don't mean to trash talk anyone who has that in there. Sorry about that. We don't have that. So unlimited labor support. If I burn out, hasn't happened yet, but if I get to 24 hours or greater of in-person support where I'm like, I'm not doing you any good anymore, then I can swap (laughs) out with somebody else in our collective. Okay. And then a postpartum follow-up. So all that is for the $12.50. It's not cheap. It's kind of a, it's, it's a, a big chunk of money for a lot of people. Yeah. And I hate that a cost is I hate that the cost is a potential barrier for some people yeah so there's two camps there's the doulas who are like this is a profession we deserve to be paid like anybody else for our time and our resources and they do not appreciate doulas who take um sliding scale or free clients because Mm -hmm. they feel it undermines the doulas who are trying to make a living okay um because if you can get your services for free from Jean, why would you pay 1250 for me for the same thing right. if you can get it free for somewhere else? Again, I see both sides and I don't want to belittle either camp. For me, my income is necessary to our family's budget. Right. Um, it's something we have to do. But I also feel it's appropriate at times to take clients um, that you feel are deserving of a discount in the interest of a doula for every woman who wants one. Yeah. I feel like that it would be, like, it's a lofty mission, but it's something that's worthwhile, you know? Like, there's need for advocates within that space. Like, it, it's so important for women to feel empowered and, you know, in control of their birth experience. So, yeah, I can I can see both sides of the doula camp. Like, you want you want to be paid for your time and... You also want everyone to have a doula. (laughs) Yes. So there's a lot of really great um, ministries and missions out there that offer free and discounted doula services, like, as a rule. Like, that's just what they're there for. Yeah. Um, And I think that's fantastic and very much needed. Um, And then there are doulas like me who, um, you know, I need to contribute to our family's budget, but my, my work is definitely not, like, the meat of it. I'm not the primary breadwinner. Um, for our family, but it is definitely helpful. Um, but then there's like single moms who do this and this is what they do to provide for their families. And so they definitely need to get paid. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely see all sides of that. So has doulaship, doulaship, is it a word? The doulaship. <laughs> I will pioneer the doulaship. <laughs> it is now. All right. Um, is doulaship like a popular thing? Is it growing in popularity? I think definitely growing. I am curious what it looks like in other countries because I don't know. I would wager that in other countries where midwifery is more the norm. Midwifery. Did you know it's midwifery? <laughs> I, not mid- not. I always said midwifery in my yeah. head. It's midwifery, which sounds weird until you say it a thousand times. Cool. You get a whiff of midwifery and then <laughs> you know how to say it. <laughs> So I would imagine that in countries where midwifery is the norm, I think the midwife provides a lot of that emotional and physical support Mm -hmm. that I provide in our model of care. 
so I think in other countries, it's probably still common to have a friend, a sister, your mom with yeah. you when you give birth. Can you imagine mom in the room? Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, I can't even drive with mom like, in the car. <laughs> like, no, thank you. I know. And I, I am surprised at the... I've only seen... Only one comes to mind where, like, grandma was in the room for the birth. Hmm. Most of the time, if, if parents are there or grandparents or anyone besides mom and dad um, there in the waiting room... But I've told you that I was mistaken for the grandmother. Oh, my God. It's been... What? Two or three times now. Really? <laughs> and for your listeners, I mean, you mentioned that you're 33. So I'm around Kelsey's age. Yeah. I am not old enough to be a grandmother. No. <laughs> the woman who said it, and she was a midwife. And so she comes into the room as the baby... It's almost time for delivery. And so they call the midwife to come in to help deliver the baby. And she sees... The dad there, like, supporting his wife. And then she sees me. And I'm, like, doing a hip squeeze, which is one of the physical support measures we do, where I'm, like, massaging. And I'm pushing on her hips, because that's what feels good as the baby's about to come out. And the midwife says, oh, look at your support team. You've got your husband. You've got your mom. This is so beautiful. I'm wearing a shirt with my brand and logo on it. I'm like, hi. I know it's been a while since I had my roots done, but this was a younger mom, but I think I was maybe like 12 years older than her. So not her mother, but anyway, I can just let that one slide. Um, So that's happened at least twice that I can remember. And uh, I don't know. I got on that soapbox, but that's just a little funny aside of things that happen when you've been at a birth for like 24 hours and I'm sure I've got bags under my eyes that make me look 50. Um, we were talking about having people in the room and whether it's gaining popularity or not. Yes. I would say, I wish I had a statistic on that. I think it's becoming more known about. Yeah. I think five years ago when I started, I found myself explaining what I did a lot more to people. If mm-hmm. I go to a cocktail party and introducing myself to people and they're like, oh, what do you do? And I'm a doula. I'm like, oh, what's that? Um, I feel like I get that less now. So okay. I think more people are at least aware of what it is. Yeah. I wonder if there's been any media recently, like a TV show that had a doula on it or something. We should make one. We should. <laughs> there was a book. I just read a book about a doula. Um, called Local Woman Missing. Did I tell you about this? Is it where, like, the doula was suspected in the killing or something? She went missing. The doula oh, herself right. went missing. After having done a birth with an OBGYN that went poorly, and the the mom and dad um, were pressing charges, were filing a lawsuit against the OB for malpractice, and the doula is being called as a witness, hmm. and then the doula mysteriously disappears and it's implied that well I don't want to give anything away <laughs> that is the premise of the book you pull a granny and just tell you exactly how it tell ends and the then you should read it so that I don't even know if it was like a super popular book mm. I read it of course but um, yeah I can't think of any like TV shows or I feel like I'm seeing it movies. more in culture like I don't know if it's just because now that I'm exposed to what a doula is and I'm looking for it, it's a confirmation bias type thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like it's definitely becoming more of a thing. Interesting. I will have to look into that and yeah. let you know. Do you have any stories that you want to share, like from the delivery room, if you're allowed? I think one of the coolest things I've ever seen was a baby being born breech. Let's um, the face first, or is it feet? butt first? Butt first. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it's a sort of a dying art because again born it, butt first it's, yeah, <laughs> the art of presenting with your your glutes first um it's not very common anymore um it used to be i mean if you think about before we had ultrasound technology mm-hmm. um if you're just palpating the belly the butt can feel a lot like a head I guess. and so if, it's just a round firm object <laughs> yeah and the, an infant's head is very malleable. The plates have to overlap and mold as it goes through the birth canal. Um, So just poking it in the belly or even grabbing, it's like a globule. You're just like, oh, here's a a floating orb. Must be the head. (laughs) And same thing if you're doing a vaginal exam, which is common in labor, to see how the cervix is progressing. I can definitely see how a butt and a head could be mistaken for the other. Unless you have a very hairy baby, but if it has a hairy head, it might also have a hairy butt. So (laughs) until ultrasound technology became commonplace, I think breach would just happen and 
these were the days when more births took place outside the hospital, so you just kind of dealt with it as it came. Yeah. Now, the risk with that is that um, by the head presenting first, usually the head is the biggest diameter of the baby that has to pass through. Yeah. And when you come butt first, you're just like, it's a wedge being born. Yeah. I have to butt in here. Lindsay forgot to mention at this moment during the interview, but immediately after we stopped recording, she was like, oh my God, I forgot to tell you. So you know how when a baby's being born, it's called crowning when the baby's head comes out. When their butt comes out, they call it rumping. I love that. So the butt comes and then you unfold the legs and then um, the head being born last, that is the risk, especially if the head is quite a bit bigger than Mm. the rest of the body um, because the cervix may not be all the way dilated to 10 centimeters in order for the butt to pass through. Um, But it needs to be as dilated as possible to get that head through. And once the rest of the baby's out, um, that cord, the umbilical cord, which is where the baby gets its oxygen until it takes its first breath, mm-hmm. um, is being compressed. It's probably uh-huh. right up there, you know, against the baby's head because it's attached to the placenta, which is still inside the mom's body. Yeah. So as the mom is pushing and delivers most of the baby with the head still being inside, if the cord is compressed, then the baby's not getting oxygen from the umbilical cord and they're not breathing yet because the head's not born. Okay. So that's risky. Yeah. And so um, there was a big movement kind of away from breech birth once I think ultrasound technology was like, okay, we can see this baby's presenting. But first, (laughs) cesareans are now much more safe than they were 30 years ago, yeah. this is probably the less less risk-averse or less risky route um, to take, and people felt comfortable with that. Now, I think there's still uh, maybe a growing camp of people who are bringing back the breach <laughs> and um, advocating for it as a means of avoiding major surgery, having that easier recovery time after the baby. There's also benefits to baby for being born vaginally. You and I both have asthma. You're both born yeah. with a C-section. Mm. That is a correlation. Yeah. Um, babies, I don't know what it is exactly. It's something to do with um, everything being kind of compressed. Um, like as the baby's the last bit of stuff out of your lungs through, yeah. Um, but it is there's a scientific connection between babies born via C-section and then developing asthma later mm-hmm. in life, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and that's just one. So there are other health benefits to babies being born vaginally, and so um, there's a, a growing number of people who want that, even with a breech baby. But unfortunately, there's a dying number of providers who are willing to do it. Um, because it's not taught in medical school anymore because mm. the OBs are, are learning surgery and that is, from their perspective, kind of the preferred route to take for a breech birth. So they don't teach how to deliver breech babies anymore. And because fewer people are having them, fewer medical students are witnessing them. Yeah. Um, and so they're not going to try to do something they've never seen before um, when it's very literally like a life and death scenario. Yeah, for both baby and mom, right? And probably not so much the mom. I okay. mean, if the... I think the biggest risk is the lack of oxygen to the baby yeah. in that scenario. Um, but I, I had a client who was having her second breech baby. Her first Whoa. baby had been born a surprise breech what? in a scenario where they thought the butt was the head or somehow flipped at the end of pregnancy, which okay. can happen. The baby can turn, though most babies are head down, um, sometimes they just have a lot of room to maneuver and they can get butt down. Um, so her first one was born a surprise breach. I was not there, but my colleague was, and she said it was like the surprise of all surprises, which I can't even imagine. <laughs> they realized the baby was coming breech. It, it can look like a head too, because you only yeah. see a little bit at a time at right. first. It's just skin. Pink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the baby pooped. Oh no. <laughs> so what they thought was a head let out some poop. And that must like, have been the, I, I can't even imagine. Right. That like, room. So crazy. So everybody, but the mom sees it. Oh, no. And they don't tell her because they don't... She's doing so great. They don't want to, like, throw her off her game. Yeah. (laughs) So crazy. So after having done it once before, ideally the second baby would be head down, but it wasn't. Yeah. And this is not uncommon for breech babies to um, repeat in moms. A lot of times it's, like, a uterine abnormality. So sometimes the uterus can be, like, heart-shaped. And so that's the way the baby fits best in the uterus. Not always, but sometimes... So I don't know if that was the case for her, but just an interesting side note. So second baby, they determined by ultrasound, was breech. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to encourage them to get into a head down position. None of them worked for this kid. 
So she switched providers until she found um, an old school OB who was kind of known for doing this. This was like his thing. Okay. Um, People would seek him out to have a breech baby. And he was awesome. And she had an awesome breech vaginal birth in the hospital. And it was really cool to watch. Probably something I'll never see again. Yeah. How do you find a breech doctor? You just Google, like, babies being born but first. Please help. (laughs) (laughs) SOS. Send butt doctor. Yeah, that was probably the wildest thing I've seen. Um, I feel like I've been very lucky because in more than 100 births, I have not seen um, anything that's been traumatic for me. That's good. There's a lot of doula support groups out there because there's a potential for to witness a lot of trauma. Yeah. Um, I have been fortunate that that's not been the case. I, we, I've seen some very premature babies and some babies born with other health conditions, but through our healthcare system and the power of prayer and just being strong and uh, they have all pulled through. And as far as I know, all of, a lot of clients keep in touch, but a lot of them, it's like, it's so weird. You're like with them in this really intimate moment. And, and then they ghost again, you. And you see them naked. And then it's like, well, thanks for everything. <laughs> Goodbye. You never see them again. It's so strange. Yeah. Um, but then some become, you know, really good friends. And we stay in touch. And our kids become friends. And you see them regularly. Uh, so that's fun to be able to keep up with them. Yeah, that's great. So do you have any advice for somebody who's looking to get into the line of work of being a doula? I think something that was really helpful for me was having a mentor Mm -hmm. or just having a community. So I work in a collective with other doulas. A lot of folks work kind of on their own, which I think is really hard. Um, Because if I have a hard birth, again, nothing super traumatic, but um, if I've been in a birth for like 24 hours and it doesn't look like we're close to having a baby and I need to like step out and um, get a bite to eat, I can call one of my friends and be like, hey, we've tried all these things. Cervix is still eight centimeters. I need some help in getting to 10. Mm -hmm. Um, There's different positions and things we can do to kind of help progress labor along. Or if I just need to like process, I have seen a couple of cesareans that I felt were unnecessary that were kind of pushed on the mom. And despite, you know, my best efforts of being like, remember, you don't have to consent if you're not ready. Um, and the mom's, you know, choosing that and then regretting it afterwards. And so walking with someone in that space, which is very emotional and um, can weigh heavy, I think uh, it's nice for me to have another doula to kind of process that with. Yeah. So community was really helpful. And then a mentor who can help me when I'm like, um, how do I find clients? Yeah. Or I've got this weird dad. Like, how do I navigate <laughs> this? I don't know what to do about him. He's so weird. Um Another funny story just popped into my head about one dad who <laughs> pooped in the delivery room, like the in the bathroom. Did? Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> didn't know that in the best way. But like, I mean, I get that you have to go. I've been there too. But go in a room like he's literally like the bathroom door is right there, and his oh, wife's okay. here about to have a baby, and you can just hear this like explosion coming from the <laughs> one of those nervous pooper types. You yeah, know, like you can't handle anymore. And we've been in the hospital eating, like, pizza and junk for, like, the last, you know, 15 hours. But, um, I mean, there's a, a waiting room, like, literally right down the hall. Yeah, just, <laughs> like, go down the hall, please. And then you come out. Nobody else can use that bathroom for, like, at least the next 30 minutes. <laughs> so, it's very inconsiderate. Terrible. Uh, so, yeah, having someone to, like, share those stories with and someone to ask advice, um... It can be an emotionally taxing job, for sure, because you're with these people, like I said, in very um, intense spaces and times, and so you really pour yourself out for your clients, um, and then you come home, and then you've got your family who also needs you, and yeah. so that dual burnout is very big. Um, five years is very common, which is where I'm at now. A very popular time for people to be like, I can't do this anymore. It's too intense. Um, and it's hard because I think duels are so needed. So I hate to see that. So I think having a, a community is a great place to start. And um, there's so many different training programs out there. So I think picking one that kind of fits who you are as a person and what you want to bring to the table, I think is really important. Yeah. So there's um, certification programs that focus on out of hospital birth. There's some that focus on um, like just more generalized experiences Um, some that are very much like 
you want to do this to make money, we will help you make money. Um, so I think finding the right one that kind of fits with your philosophy and who you are and what you want to be, I think, is important too. Yeah. So what is one... Do you have a myth that you want to dispel about being a doula or the doula community? Anything that you would want mm. people to walk away with? I think we already talked about... I think it's important people know the difference between midwife and doula. So mm-hmm. I don't do anything medical. Um, that's all for the midwife or the OBGYN. I don't... I don't make decisions or tell people what to do. I don't replace the dad's role. So most of the time I'm there working in tandem with the couple, mm-hmm. um, showing dads who are clueless how to touch their wives in labor, how to be more supportive, what not to say. <laughs> don't complain about being tired, dude. I think it's, you're overreacting. <laughs> so many things on the not to say list. I can't think of any. What did? Were there any preconceived notions that you had that I helped correct? Um... We talked about it a little bit already with just the the cost barrier, I think. Like, when I think of doulas, I think of, like, rich white ladies have doulas. Mm, and that, unfortunately, and, is a lot of our clientele. Yeah. yeah, but you have made efforts to make it, like, more people. Accessible. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting and unfortunate because, as I said before, I think that the origin of, like, supporting women in childbirth has nothing to do with race or money yeah. or country of origin it's just humanity Um, exactly yes yes and so I I didn't know that that was a a stereotype I mean I know it because I'm in it Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that people who are out of it kind of also envision that so that's interesting I think it's just weird though because like you know in America like the way that I guess western medicine as a whole just feels so cold and sterile whereas doula feels more like it comes from you know more ancient cultures, people that have been doing this for years and years, like in tribal communities or in multifamily homes. So Mm -hmm. you you don't picture like rich white people with that. Mm -hmm. So it feels like almost how the practice of yoga has been Mm co-opted by waspy moms or whatever. It's that vibe to it that I think a lot of people have, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I think one myth that um, we already talked about this one, too, is that we're only for people who want a natural birth. Yeah. So I have had clients who are planning a C-section, and it's their second or third C-section, and they're scared, and they want someone to hold their hand in the delivering room. They want someone to take pictures. They want someone to help them postpartum with um, healing and recovery. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of moms... So my clients, I looked at this earlier, 50, exactly 50% have epidurals. Wow. So if the other 50% do not. Um, I would probably guess that like 70% plan to not have an epidural, but then something comes up in the labor, either it's longer than they anticipated or more intense than they anticipated, where they change their mind and decide to get one. Um, but I'm definitely not just for giving birth in the ocean yeah <laughs> <laughs> with amidst the rainbows and the dolphins right um in fact i would argue that doulas are even more worthwhile and necessary for hospital births because there's just so many more unknowns there and that's also just that's where our country is comfortable giving birth even yeah. though that's not the norm in other places that's what is the norm here for better or for worse so i have I, I would say the majority of my clients want unmedicated in the hospital but that is not the only clientele that we are for mm, okay if somebody walks away from this podcast what is one thing that you want them to take away from it if you are in the childbearing realm or you know someone who is share this with other people to kind of help spread the word a little bit yeah be like hey did you know that this is a thing that exists it's pretty interesting tell people about us it helps us help you um do you want to advertise your specific client thing sure (laughs) our collective (laughs) that's the word (laughs) yeah not even me specifically but our, our group is called little lilacs birth services um so you can you can google us if you want we are in dfw area um would love to connect with y'all if that is something that you would like but just in general i think um do you have more male or female listeners do you know you know i don't know i I don't know (laughs) so hopefully i've opened some people's eyes so i'm sure many of you listeners are husbands or partners or if not then you're you may have a sister um or a daughter or niece or someone who may be entering their childbearing years anytime soon um ask them if they know about doulas and if not 
Didn't tell him to Google it. Yeah. A woman who serves. Yes. Okay. That is a wrap on this interview, I think. Do you have um, any other things you wanted to add at the end? That was so fun. I, I feel like I did most fun. Of, yeah, I, I I did most of the talking. I don't know if that's normal. Sometimes I get in my spiel and I like I can't get out of it again because there's so much I want to say and <laughs> yeah. share with people about this. I mean, that's what you're here for. Um, I thought I saw something else that I wanted to share when I was looking at my statistics. Oh, of do you think more boys or girls have been born? Oh, out of your spreadsheet? Yeah, out of mm-hmm. 125. This fits with the national statistics, so one of the genders is slightly more common. Did you know that? I didn't. Is it boys? Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact number. It's very, it's like 51% and 49%, but of mine, uh, it's been 64 boys and 58 girls. Oh, well, I thought you were say 64% boys. No, that I was would, like, that wow. Would be high. Um, something that's interesting and something I also feel strongly about, uh, circumcision is mm-hmm. on the decline in the United States. Oh, really? Does a doula do anything with circumcision? Just educate because it happens kind of around the time of the birth. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people want more information on that. And so, um, yeah, that is definitely trending downward. Um, it's not just a hippie weird thing to do anymore. A lot of people are choosing not to do it for personal um, or religious or other reasons. Um, so that's something that's important to me is, again, I feel like it's something that's done kind of without thinking, like C-sections. And yeah. so I just, I feel strongly in that I think you should do your research, learn why we do it, why not to do it, what all it entails, make sure that it's something that you want to do before you just kind of check the box when mm-hmm. you are admitted to the hospital, that it's something you want for your baby. Okay. Cool. Good information. Thank you so much for doing this with me. It was yeah, fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Didn't I tell you she was freaking cool, you guys? I love my sister. I think that was an awesome interview. Thank you again, Lindsay, for doing it. I'm just so thrilled to know you and have you in my life. You're wonderful. I hope that you guys enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. Um, if you guys are interested in, you know, learning more about the doula ship and what all a doula does, if you're craving more information after this interview, you can visit her website at littlelilacs.com. She is a birth doula, so you can find her information under there. I'll link it in the show notes for you. It's cool. If you are in the birthing space, if you know somebody in the birthing space, I just think that doulas are a really important resource that not everybody knows about. So read up on it if you are so inclined. And if you've decided in your life that you love Yumtopes so dang much that you want to give us some of your hard-earned dough, why don't you go on over to patreon.com backslash Yumtope. You can sign up there to be a patron. We got three different tiers for three different levels of wonder and beauty and love. It's just a good time. We love our patrons. They're the best. We do this show solo. And so you patrons are pretty much like executive producers on it. You know, you tell us what content you like, what content you don't like. You tell us what you want to see more of. You give us new ideas to go down different rabbit holes and we love you for it. So if you're into that, go check that out. If you want to be the ultimate supporter beyond the Patreon, you can get yourself some Yimto gear over at the Yimto Apparel store. Uh, we are thinking about getting some new designs in the store very soon, so keep an eye out for those. And of course, thank you again to all of our supporters, whether you support us just by listening, whether you share the episodes with people, whether you're buying stuff or just hanging out. We love you so much. Our theme song is The Grim Reaper Blows the Horn by Faraz. Check him out on YouTube. And as always, thanks for listening and tune in next time to get the answer to that burning question. If I'm here and you're there, then who's piloting the doula ship? But we had one more important sound we wanted you to hear. A quick test recording. Check volumes and room noise. Okay. Tell me what you had for breakfast today. Bacon. Just bacon. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> Deutsch breakfast. <laughs>